When I'm not hosting this podcast, I am writing books, but it is really hard for me to write when I'm at home, so I like to find remote cabins in the middle of nowhere to just hang out and write. But I hate the idea of my house just sitting empty, doing nothing but collecting dust and definitely not collecting checks. And that's why I'm an Airbnb host. It's one of my all-time favorite side hustles. Other popular side hustles are awesome too, don't get me wrong, but they often involve big startup costs. By hosting your space, you're monetizing what you already have access to. It doesn't get easier than that. And if you're new to the side hustle game and you're anxious about getting started, don't worry because you're not in this alone. Airbnb makes it super easy to host. I mean, if I could do it, you could do it. And your home might be worth a lot more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host. I'm Nicole Lappin, the only financial expert you don't need a dictionary to understand. It's time for some money rehab. You know the old cliche, there's no such thing as bad press? Well, that's easy enough to say it's a whole other thing to live. But Kara Alloway has lived it. Kara was brought onto the show The Real Housewives of Toronto. Yes, that franchise is global. Who knew? And quickly became the villain, or as she would say, the anti-hero. To be honest, I've never seen the series, so I'm not exactly sure why or how she picked the short end of the Shiro stick. But as you're about to hear, I recently met her and I found her to have absolutely zero villain qualities. She has a novel coming out soon, Most Hated, and seeing her press tour honestly made me wonder if The Real Housewives is a great launch pad for a lucrative career. But as you're about to hear, stories like these are never black and white. So to add the color, here's my conversation with Kara. Kara Alloway, welcome to Money Rehab. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk to you about your debut novel, Most Hated, comes out May 30th. Congrats. I assume, Kara, this is all inspired by your season on The Real Housewives of Toronto. Yes? Yes, your assumption is correct. However, that being said, I always knew I wanted to write a novel that dealt with female relationships. I told my husband, there's a novel inside me. I knew it was going to deal with females and female relationships. I just didn't know what the backdrop was. Then I did Housewives. And I have to tell you, I knew I had found my backdrop. I I instantly said, this is great. Because while the novel and the narrative of the novel, it is a fiction. It's not a calculated tell-all. It's not a biography or autobiography. I cast the reality show within the pages. So there are no characters that are similar to any housewives past or present. But I knew that, you know, the narrative, I wanted to grip what it is that fascinates us about female relationships, because women are, you know, very much relational creatures. And I think the world loves to watch those relationships pay, play out. I think we see that all the time in reality television. I mean, you know, talk about the scandal, the, the Tom Sandoval incident from LVP. How much do we love watching how these females interact with each other? Yeah, the guys are there too, but it's the women So it was inspired and informed, a lot of the characters informed by the emotions I felt when I was cast as the villain, for all intents and purposes, I prefer anti-hero, but cast as the villain on Toronto Housewives, a lot of what I went through there informed the characters. Were you cast as the anti-hero or is that just what happened? And the description of your book, it says Alloway brings readers the inside perspective of someone who has been the reality TV villain and survived. So let's go there. How did you first realize that you were the villain slash anti-hero? 
really interesting way that I arrived at that. So I had the privilege of sitting in with Jonathan Murray, who is, you know, the godfather of reality television. He did the real world. He did the simple life. I sat in on Jonathan Murray is going to tell you how to cast reality television. It was a fascinating session. There were maybe 10 of us in this class and he went through, you know, how he cast, what he looks for, what he looks for in a villain, what he looks for in a cast member. And something that stood out to me, because this was post Housewives. So something that stood out to me was he said, make sure your villain has an incredibly high emotional intelligence. So I'm taking my notes. Okay, make sure villain emotional high intelligence. Then I thought, you know, we did a psychological assessment before the show actually filmed. So I contacted the firm that had done this psychological assessment. And at the time, it was a very in-depth one. I mean, it was three hours of would you rather this or this? And how does this make you feel? So I contacted the firm and I asked if I could see my psychological assessment. And I will say this. I've spoken with housewives from other franchises, and not every franchise across the board does the psychological assessment, but of a lot of reality television shows do. So I asked if I could see mine. Line one, Kara Alloway has a very high emotional intelligence. So was I cast as the villain? Maybe not. Did producers see this and have a clue and say, okay, potential villain, definitely a truth teller, unfiltered. You know, I ticked all the boxes for villainhood. So uh, I read that you first knew you'd be the villain when you saw that the women in the cast were literally betting against you. For listeners who haven't seen the show, can you tell us that story and how it came to that point? You know, can I just say it still when you talk about it, it gives me goosebumps because it was such a mean girl cafeteria episode. So we were all having lunch together. It was a group lunch. And these group lunches, you have to understand, you see them on camera for maybe two and a half minutes. The reality is you're filming for closer to two, maybe three hours. So you're sitting there. They want to take you in at different angles. They have different beats they want to hit. Production is coming in, you know, giving little people hints, showing phones. Can you talk about this? Can you talk about this? You're sort of sitting there. What's next? What's next? You're mic'd up. I mean, the adrenaline, the anxiety is very high. So a producer said to me, at some point, I'm going to need you to take a cast member. He specified who that I was having issues with. And I want you to do the classic, may I speak to you alone? Oh, Which is like, so it was such cringe. a cliche. <laughs> yeah. such a, exactly. And I was like, okay. So I took her and we went outside to talk about some issues that we were having. And we they filmed us doing that. And then, you know, we did what we had to do when we were coming back to the table. So I walked back to the table where the rest of my cast was sitting. And as I was going to my place, I saw a pile of money. I want to say they were $20 bills, but it was very obvious. It was a pile of money at the corner of the table. And I sort of walked by and looked and I went, well, why is there money on the table? For a lot of reasons. I mean, first of all, you never pay for the lunch. So I didn't know why anyone had brought money. And this was well into filming. So I was sort of like, what's going on here? So I said, oh, there's money on the table. And they sort of looked at each other and giggled a little. And they're like, yeah, we kind of had a group bet. And I said, well, what was that about? And they said, well, we bet if you guys got physical, she'd take you down. <gasps> And I can't tell you oh. how that felt like it, it, in so many ways, I was gutted. It undid me. And I had to sit there and do the rest of the scene acting like never let them see you sweat. But I was gutted by that. However, thank you very much to the Mean Girls because it did give me my line, which was 
don't bet against Kara Alloway because you'll lose. <laughs> so, well, it's interesting that you liken this to Mean Girls. Obviously, we've all seen Mean. I've seen it more times than I care to admit. But you say that you have a theory when you think of Mean Girls. Uh, who's the first person that pops in your head? Regina George. Like, do you remember Katie? Yes, she was in it, but everybody remembers Regina George. So do you think there's really no such thing as bad press at that point? Did you just lean into this anti-hero villain role? So I think what's important in this, in considering this is I went into Housewives. I approached the production company with an idea for a reality television show. I wanted to produce a show that was sort of like million dollar listing, but for charities. And they said, you know, we'll think about it. And we talked about it. We waxed back and forth. And, and then they came back to me and they said, Kara, listen, we're doing Real Housewives of Toronto. We think you should do the show and it could be a sizzle reel. You can be the one that does all the charity events. And that's a sizzle reel for your show. At the time, my working title was Sweet Charity. That can be a sizzle reel for Sweet Charity. Now, I was naive and I had no clue. So I didn't really think, but wait, I don't want to be in the show. I want to produce the show. I was thinking, oh, sizzle, good. Then I can have my show. My show will go into production. Also, I was a child actress. I enjoyed performing. I enjoyed being in front of the camera. So, you know, it, it was very appealing to me in that sense, really appealing to me. So with that producer mindset, I went into it thinking, well, we have to make this the best show ever because I need my show to come out of this. So I was, you know, come on, guys, like, let's make this great. If they need conflict, let's give them the conflict we need. I was, you know, all in there. I had no clue that I was going to be the villain. Honestly, I went in thinking, you know, in my novel, I actually refer to the very feeling that I had, which was we were doing scenes and, and all along, I saw myself as being the Jim Halpert in these scenes. I was like, I'm in the office and I'm the one doing the side eye at the camera. Like, are you seeing this? Do you see what's going on here? I thought I was the normal one. And then all of a sudden it started to turn and I was like, wait a second. I don't think I'm the normal one. I think I'm that one. So did I embrace it? A hundred percent. Case in point. We all um, were scheduled to do to ride on a water banana, an inflatable up at my summer home yeah, on the course, water. That's reality and, TV for everybody. Of course. <laughs> and and so many cliches that could be thrown around. So in my interview, post facto, I ended up breaking two ribs because of that water banana ride. Mm. We were thrown off it. Not fun. But in my post facto interview, production said to me, why did you choose to take them on a water banana ride after I had a dinner party that went wrong? Well, it's like improvisation. I can't say because you guys planned it three weeks in advance. Right. And it was scheduled. That, that's not allowed. You can't say no like that. You can't call out bluff. So thinking on the spot, I said, well, they got so blind drunk at my cottage and they were so hideously behaved that what's the best way to exact vengeance? Take them on a water <laughs> banana ride, which in my head, I was going, see, I'm producing. I'm giving you what you need. Meanwhile, people watching the show were going, she's the worst. She's so evil. How wow. could she do that? So there's really no backtracking. A couple times when we were filming, because I really was the lightning rod. I was the lightning rod of the show. So I had had it towards the end. We were on a boat and I said, that's it. Today when we're filming, I'm not saying anything. I'm gonna be quiet. I've been injured. I'm not gonna say a word. So we sat around and literally I was watching the action go on and I thought, I've just changed the channel on my own show. This is boring. I can't <laughs> have this. So I went, all right. 
here she comes. She's coming out again. Bring her out. Um, and forgive me, I haven't seen the show. We've had awesome housewives on the show. I haven't seen one episode yet, but I get the gist of it. Um, I will probably have to look up the the banana boat scene. Um, uh, but that story about the producers telling you that they would feature your charity. I'm assuming that didn't happen in the show. No. So or actually, incubate your charity idea. It's interesting what happened. So they did. No, it didn't happen within the confines of the show. After the show, I went to Los Angeles. I got my own agent to represent me as a producer. I got my show. We did a sizzle reel. It had a happy ending in that sense. But um, in, in this, in the confines of the show what was interesting and you're the first person that's asked me this it's a really interesting question so I was selling tickets to this children's charity that was my mo that was my role it was called the ambi gala and I was supposed to sell tickets a table was $25,000 but you know not to kill the casting or how the show was cast that shouldn't be a problem if you're a housewife you don't blink at $25,000 unfortunately Every single one of my castmates was like, are you absolutely crazy? I'm not paying $25,000 for a table. So that portion never aired. But the trajectory of the narrative became, oh, she's awful. She's so mean to these people and she wants them to go to her charity. And I can remember I kept saying, no, they called it my party. She wants them to go to her party. And I was like, it's a charity. And I kept saying my line that was like so redundant was, it's not about me. It's about the kids. And, and the other cast members would say, you want us to come to your party? And I was like, guys, it's the greater good. So that was lost on really interesting question. Thank you for allowing me to air that because I never got a chance to oh, share that. I'm, I'm really glad. You know, it's it's funny. I ask you this because I recently had people reach out to me. And by the way, um, I say this on the show often that the DMs I get are like, nerdy finance questions, not fun, sexy DMs. But I was recently asked uh, about a reality show that some entrepreneurs were approached to do. And they were like, can I send you the contract? You want to, I want to make sure that I'm doing everything right. I'm like, sure. But like your guess is as good as mine. Get an agent, get, you know, a lawyer. What would be the cautionary tale of what they promise you versus what actually happens? Where should you be aware if anyone, because, you know, there's a writer strike going on. So there's probably going to be more reality television. Reality television was born at the last writer's strike. So if anyone is thinking about getting in the space, what would be the lessons you would give them? Reality television is not for the faint of heart. That participant contract is a lot. I mean, at first, my husband said, like, well, you go do what you want to do. But I'm a lawyer for the banks in Canada. It doesn't get more serious than that. I mean, he still wears a gown when he goes to court. Okay, oh, so he said, okay. I will not be participating in your Real Housewives franchise. The first night I came home and he was asleep after doing a group event. I went, wake up, wake up, wake up. You've got to be on this show with me because otherwise I have no one on my side. <laughs> he was wow. so reluctant. Okay, but the husbands very often sign a contract that promises to put them, quotes in the best light. So even if they do something, that'll be edited out. If they do something that's questionable, they will be shown in the best light if that's the contract they're signing. The contract the participants sign, I mean, boy, oh boy, all bets are off. So my husband used to joke saying, honey, in the bacon and egg breakfast, I'm the chicken, you're the pig. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I'm assuming they say like, you'll be shown in the worst light as the participant. Much so. It's pretty much like that. Like if you are injured, we'll call the ambulance, but you know, we're going to keep filming. Okay. And is there, was there a leeway for you? Did you negotiate through that? There is, there is 
little to no room for negotiation, which I also touch on in the narrative of my book. I mean, it is what it is. Like I say, it's not for the faint of heart. And you have three boys, right? Did they have to sign a contract like that? Yes. So again, my family was very supportive of me. Hey, mom, we know this is what you want to do. My little one who he was in the union, you know, he was an actor. He was a voice actor. No, I I don't do reality television. Mom, I'm a high school student in grade nine. And I don't want my friends. Actually, he might have even been in maybe he was even in grade seven at the time, actually. So he was not having anything to do with it. The other two, one was in university and said, if I want a social life, I'm not doing this. And then, so nobody was doing it. And then mom had to come to them and say, guys, please, like, I need some representation on this. None of my girlfriends wanted to do it. I had helped with casting of the show. And I put a lot of their names forward. And they some of them did go to the interviews, but either they didn't have the TVQ or when they found out what was involved, they said, no, 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 I won't be participating. I mean, Toronto is, we are the most multicultural city in the world, but we are also uber, uber conservative, just in the sense that, you know, we celebrities like to come here because Torontonians don't stop them on the streets and bug them. We're, we're, we're really, we, we keep our skeletons in our closet, deep in our closet. <laughs> Except on The Real Housewives, I suppose. I mean, I commend you. I would have done the same thing to try to stack the deck in my favor and like put in, you know, my biggest fans, my biggest girl ambassadors. But I guess the biggest lesson net net here is that you just have no control, absolutely zero control of what's going to be shown. Precisely. And I can remember, I thought pride comes before a very big fall. I thought I had been around filming. I had friends who were on the Beverly Hills franchise. I know what's involved. I've got this. I'm going to be very careful of what I say. I'm going to choose my words so carefully. And we were filming a scene where I was walking into a restaurant and I had on some really high heels and and they were giving me direction. You know, the cameraman has to walk backwards filming you. So can you take it slow so he doesn't trip and break his neck? And I, you know, of course, but walking slow in high heels, I was like teetering a little. And I laughed when we were doing a second take of this. I said to the cameraman, okay, you got to walk a little faster because I'm teetering and I think I look like I'm drunk. And he went, oh, well, don't worry about it. We'll speed your walk up in the edit. And that was when it hit me. And I thought, what do you mean you'll speed my walk up in the edit? I thought I had everything under control. I was going to be so careful of what I said. Never for a minute Mm. did I contemplate the edit. And that's where the Franken biting, the cherry picking comes in. One of my most dramatic scenes is me coming to the defense of my kids. And I say, which is a line that I say all the time, if you're a friend of mine, you know, I say this, I'm a little kooky and my family rolls their eyes. But I say, you know, come after me, I'll stand my own. Come after my kids and you will see flames shoo it out of my nose. That's what I say. Well, that in the edit became come after me, awkward edit, awkward edit, and flames will shoot out of my nose. <gasps> that's I mean, the and even in the edit, edit it's, it's so choppy. Wow. Yes. So that's what came out. And again, I need to say, you're dealing with a, a singular production company. When when you deal with experts like Alex Bascom, 32 Flavors, Truly Original, Shed, all of those ones, they don't do, I've talked to other housewife participants, they don't do that sort of monkey business shenanigans. I remember someone from Beverly Hills said one time they did, they cut to a, a funny reaction that didn't go with the question that was asked, but that's it. Like, I mean, Ugh. some of the girls get tripped up and say, you can say, I will always be aware I'm mic'd. I mean, you're wearing a mic pack, a belt, You've got this wire up through your blouse. I will know I'm mic'd. Oh, no, you forget. Let me tell you, you forget. And you say things and sort of go, oh, crap. Did I just say that? Is Oh, shoot. Okay. I so- mean, I'm getting anxiety just hearing you talk <laughs> about this. So I can't even imagine. 
Hold on to your wallets. Money Rehab will be right back. Do you ever get FOMO, fear of missing out? Well, do you ever get FOMO Tupita, fear of missing out on the perfect hire? If so, I have the antidote. It's LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites, and that adds up to a serious squad of awesome candidates. LinkedIn has over a billion professionals on the platform, and these candidates are super qualified. So much so that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within just 24 hours. I work with LinkedIn Jobs for all of my dream team needs, so they're hooking up money rehabbers at linkedin.com slash MNN. Go there and you can post your job for free. That's linkedin.com slash MNN, as in Money News Network, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Money rehabbers, you have money hidden in your house. Yeah, just hiding there in plain sight. Okay, so I don't mean you have gold bars hidden somewhere in walls, treasure map style, but you do have a money-making opportunity that you're just leaving on the table if you're not hosting on Airbnb. It's one of my all-time favorite side hustles. By hosting your space, you are monetizing what you already own. It doesn't get easier than that. For me, hosting on Airbnb has always been a no-brainer. When I first signed up, I remember thinking to myself, self, you pay a lot of money for your house. It is time that house returned the favor. And to get real with you for a sec, I felt so much guilt before treating myself on vacation because traveling can be so expensive. But since hosting on Airbnb, I feel zero stress for treating myself to a much needed vacation because having Airbnb guests stay at my house when I'm traveling helps offset the cost of my travel. So it's such a win-win. I mean, if I could do it, you could do it. And your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host. And now for some more money rehab. You were referring to the Housewives of Beverly Hills. Brandi Glanville has come on Money Rehab. I know you recently did her show. She's awesome. She helped us pull back the curtain a bit on how much the Housewives cast members make when she came on the show. And as a money nerd, I find it so, so fascinating to follow the money trail of the Housewives. How much did you make on the Housewives? I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, okay, Toronto's a little low budget, right? Like our, our athletes, our professional athletes don't make as much as the American ones. I was 25,000. For the that was it. episode? No. Oh, for the season. <laughs> I know, exactly. Oh, Compared okay. to the American franchise, I'm telling you, no budget. Again, I didn't do it for the money. I did it because I thought it was leading to something else, but I know how much they're paid on the US franchise. And I know when you say, an episode <laughs> that's you know yeah that's kind of how much they make an episode in the states right not all of them oh. i'm not at discretion to say from the ones i know but let's just say that for the big ones they make more than that a lot and it's is it negotiable did you try to negotiate that rate it's non-negotiable did i try to negotiate it absolutely and there were other i know there were other potential cast members in toronto that held out that said, I won't do it for a penny less than this. And production went, okay, then you're not doing it. And they were outraged that they weren't invited to do it. But again, production sort of said it's cachet. And I have to say, you don't do it for the money. You do it. Number one, if you, my brand that I was looking to sell was charity. I was selling charity. That was my brand. But you do it if you do have a brand, a line of makeup, a line of clothing, whatever it is that you're looking to sell, you do it for that. And then also, I have to say, a, a huge part of it that I know my friends in, in the States especially, 
the free stuff, I'm sorry to tell you this, but the free stuff is off the charts. I Don't know be sorry. Tell me more. <laughs> oh, there are housewives that like want to buy second houses to hold all of their free stuff. It comes daily. It is incredibly plentiful. And it's, you know, it's looking for just a shout out on a social media. And then, of course, there's after while the show is airing and whatnot, there's the great endorsement deals. There are managers and their only business is to get you that endorsement deal from, you know, usually it's a little off brand. Like it might be something like a, an, an instep for a shoe or something like that or, or a drug company for, you know, I know one of the housewives, I think she did something for drops for dry eyes or something like that. Like Chanel is not knocking on the door saying, will you be our brand rep? But it's lucrative and it's a side hustle. And that's what you do it for. What kind of stuff did you get? What was the coolest stuff you got? Okay, this is going to sound crazy, but I got a lot of good food Mm, (laughs) from local, you know, local bakers and things like that, that would, you know, say, can we have your address? We want to send you over some cookies. We want to send you a cheesecake. (laughs) Like that was kind of really fun. I got a ton of hair accessories, like a ton of hair accessories and makeup. Did any of them turn into bigger brand deals for you or did you not want to play in that party? I didn't want to play in that party. I was, you have to understand, I licked my wounds for, I mean, I didn't even get around to start writing the book. I was having post-traumatic stress I'm sure. for several months. And and let me explain also for my own responsibility. I went into this being a huge pleaser. And I was under the impression that, you know, I was so sweet. I was a pleaser. I just wanted everybody to be happy. And what I learned over the arc of the show is there's a ton of vanity tied up with being a pleaser. You can say you just want everyone to be happy and, you know, you want to be snow white with the little birds on your shoulder. But at the end of the day, you want people to like you. And I had to come to terms with that. What is that like sex in the city line that Samantha says, if I care about what every bitch in New York City thought about me, I never leave the house or something. I like love that. that. That's Um, a good one. (laughs) I'm assuming people also sold a lot of that stuff as a side hustle. They do. I know for a fact they do because sometimes when you're sent, you know, products for promotion, they send you 10 or so and I can spot them on eBay. I can go on eBay. I know I've been to the party, so I know what's out there and what's recirculating. Okay, she's selling four of the 10 on eBay. All right. Okay. They do. It happens. I mean, you know. I mean, but you had a big job, you know, editor-in-chief of Ingenue Magazine, you were at Allure. I'm assuming that you made a lot more in your career and you weren't viewing this as another stepping stone in your salary. Not at all. I lost money, like with the parties that I was throwing and the tables I was buying and things like that. I mean, I came out in the red after doing (laughs) this show. But I mean, if you're looking at the economy of life, I consider I won. Do I have any regrets doing it? Not at all. Not for a second. Even though I was, you know, most hated, even though I was the anti-hero, even though I had, you know, the trolls from around the world. Let me tell you, when you're getting messages from Australia saying, you dirty rhymes with punt, yeah. <laughs> like, you're they just love like, that word. <laughs> wow, they really do. You don't even know me or... You know, I hope your husband leaves you and and horrible (gasps) things happen to your kids. Oh, yeah. Like, these are people who have never met you. And I would do the whole, you know, well, even trash can do great things. They call it garbage can, not garbage can. (laughs) I had a whole love that. (laughs) Okay. I mean, I had teenage boys who were helping me saying, oh, when they say this, this is what you have to say back. So I uh, the franchise just ran for one season. Why do you think it wasn't renewed? 
I think a lot of reasons. I don't want to be polishing my own diamonds, but I know that after after my first season, I said, well, I, I need to take a break. I need to step back. I mean, I, again, I mentally coming out of that, I was in a really bad way. I had not anticipated the backlash. So there were some really dark times for me uh, post facto. So I know I stood stepped back and said I had to take a break I I don't really know what happened production wise I just know you know they would say to me would you do season two and I had a publicist saying well you have to say you'd never say never but at the time I said but I I can't do season two like you don't understand mentally I don't have that in me and I can remember one of the producers before I even knew how bad it was going to be one of the producers was meeting with me and she said well you know Kara season two is for redemption and I was like what What's that supposed to mean? So you you were like, no way, no how. I'm not doing this again, period, the end. You weren't open to doing more than one season at all. I, I definitely was not. At that point, I was not jumping back in again at all. I, I still hadn't, I mean, coming out of it, it took me a while. I can sit here and wax philosophical with you and, and tell you I learned so much and this. Would you like to see my journal from when the show was airing in the next couple months? therapy bills, yeah. It was bad god bless my husband for staying with me we were just talking about it today and I was laughing saying you know well you could say like I went crazy and he started laughing and he was like "Hmm, I could say that of course it wouldn't be like the truth right honey and I was like oh no I know I know I was bonkers I was I mean it, it was bad tough and then you have to understand like I would pull up at you know after school pickup and there would be mothers there going, oh, that's her. Did you see what she said on the show? It's awful. It's disgusting. And the other mothers would share, having my best interest at heart, I assume, saying, oh, she wants nothing to do with you. She said she saw the show and she saw what you said. Like, uh, pariah doesn't even begin to describe it. So I went through all of that. I was the pariah. I was the outcast. I mean, it was it was a lot. Like, I wasn't even on any VIP lists, okay? It wasn't like I was going, hey, at least I'm going to this party and I'm having a fun time. I was persona non grata. So, no, I, I said there will not be a season two for me at this time. And what kind of other money-making opportunities did the show open up for you? Obviously, the book. Uh, I heard that you were offered five grand a week to be someone's sugar baby that you turned up. <laughs> Tell yeah. me more. <laughs> it was very interesting. I would get messages from like men saying, would you like to be my sugar baby for 5,000 a week? And I remember going, okay, first of all, I am totally insulted because I am very happily married. But secondly, five grand a week. Really? <laughs> and then, and then I had, I remember when I shared it, somebody said, sugar zero. baby, if you're a sugar baby, it's a sugar grandpa, like seriously. And I was going, okay, I know. And then my kids said, I think a lot of people get that on the internet, mom. Like, it's nice that, you know, you think it's funny, but I think a lot of people hear that. <laughs> I'm like, oh God. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's funny. When you when you get in the public eye, in that form, within the form of the Housewives franchise, it's amazing who reaches out to you. I mean, I had psychics telling me, urgent that you contact me ASAP. I have valuable information. I can remember sitting there going, ooh. What is it they know? Maybe they know ask? something. I've gotten some oh. of those messages too. I'm so curious. Right? I Immediately send me a I'm picture like, of your right palm. Immediately. And I'm like looking at my right palm. Does she see what's in there? <laughs> I mean, the other uh, theme, unfortunately, is a lot of financial woes, right? Why do you think that is? Uh, who is the latest one 
Kim Zolziak, I think, yes. uh, from Atlanta. She and her husband are getting divorced. They owe a million bucks in back taxes. Why do they, why is this a common theme and common headlines that come out about the housewives, do you think? I have a theory that, you know, you get on the show and there was, you know, it, first of all, it's tough to cast. So I want to say that. So maybe people are cast and they're not quite the same financial snack bracket as some of the other housewives and they might borrow money they might you know rent houses because there is a lot of pressure to keep that up I mean you know I'm I'm sitting there asking these other women well who wants a $25,000 table I mean people were saying to me you're absolutely ridiculous but understand within the confines we were all supposed to be these glamorous women leading these glamorous lives I know you know some of my castmates were renting cars to pull up in front of my house in the right car so there's a lot of pressure to present. And I think, you know, the the notoriety, the the feedback from the fans, it's a lot of fun. It can be addictive. I think they get in there and they get addicted to that. And they're spending more than what they're making. And they're, you know, spending on trips and travel and keeping up with the Joneses. I mean, what a metaphor for life, right? They're hook, line and sinker into the relativism and they get in over their heads. I'd love to get your thoughts on how uh, Bethany responded to this. Uh, of course, for anyone who doesn't know, Bethany Frankel, Real Housewives of New York alum, she said, it's the old housewives model to get on the show, make no money, spend, spend, logo, logo, car, car, house, house, bankruptcy, foreclosure, because you can't keep up. You're writing checks that you can't cash and it's gross. Do you agree? It's, it's I 100% agree. It's a vicious circle. If you aren't, you know, a Hilton, or if you don't have it behind you, the audience, first of all, I do think they will detect it. And there is a lot of pressure from the other housewives, from production, from just the, the very tone of the show, the very nature of the show. It's aspirational. You know, that that's what makes great reality television is it needs to be relatable, sure. But it also needs that element of aspiration. Like that's, I always say that's why the Kardashians is, are such good television. Everybody fights with their sibling. Maybe not while they're driving their Lamborghini, and that's what makes it fun, but everybody fights with their siblings, so you can relate to it, but it has that secret sauce of the aspirational aspect. And Bethany, she's great. I love her. Fun fact, she was a hostess at La Scala in Beverly Hills, and I was a hostess at the Bistro Garden down the street. But yeah, I think there's a lot of housewives writing checks they cannot cash, and it catches up with you. And you know, I heard people say they they spied on one of the Beverly Hills housewives and she was in a Louis Vuitton store and she was paying for her purchase with spreading it out among three credit cards, whether that was so her husband didn't see the charges. I mean, that's the oldest trick in the book or whether it was because she didn't have enough credit on the three credit cards. That's what she was doing. And her fans were aghast and they were saying like, we didn't want to ask for a photo because we sort of didn't know what to say. How embarrassing it happens. To close, I got to ask you if you've ever needed money rehab. No. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I lived in Beverly Hills. I worked for Allure magazine and I had a great salary, a great salary. And my parents were really good. They made me read The Wealthy Barber when I was a teenager. Um, and, and I learned a lot from that about savings and all of that stuff. But I had no children. I had no husband. I had a great job and I had no responsibilities. Literally, I used to be the kind of person when I, when that was my job, I would pay my rent, buy my food, have my money for going out. And then the rest of it, I was like, 
well, I got to spend all the rest of it. It was like, it was like a task. Okay. So I have this much left over. So now I have to spend the rest of this. There was the concept of savings, even though I had read the wealthy barber and I knew about it. Oh no, no, no. That was so lost on me. And I can remember I met my husband and he was like, oh my gosh, we're going to be in trouble. If you keep this up, we need to have some conversations here. So knowing what you know now, uh, what's a piece of money advice that you would give that former self who was a hostess uh, at a restaurant in Beverly Hills and spending uh, all that you made, I'm sure, on your nice but modest journalism salary? Save. What the heck? (laughs) With every paycheck, take it and look at like a piece of pizza. You know the way people say you have to eat that way, this many carbs and (laughs) this much protein and whatnot. Every time you get that paycheck, it is never a paycheck as a whole. Like, make sure you have the the part set aside for charity. 100%, you have to do that. A lot for giving back, but also I took the Lori Santos happiness course, and it's a known fact. You, You give away and it will chalk up your happiness meter. It really does work. Money Rehab is a production of Money News Network. I'm your host, Nicole Lappin. Money Rehab's executive producer is Morgan Lavoie. Our researcher is Emily Holmes. Do you need some money rehab? And let's be honest, we all do. So email us your money questions, moneyrehab at moneynewsnetwork.com to potentially have your questions answered on the show or even have a one-on-one intervention with me. And follow us on Instagram at moneynews and TikTok at moneynewsnetwork for exclusive video content. And lastly, thank you. No, seriously, thank you. Thank you for listening and for investing in yourself, which is the most important investment you can make.